Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nikrita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today, and thank you for tuning in with us. Today it's a very interesting uh, topic again, God and the Covenant. This is something which uh, these days you may uh, hear not so often, that this word covenant. But we'll try to describe this in different words, just for uh, each one of us to understand this. But before we go to, into this study, I would like to welcome our panel. And uh, the first person which I would like to welcome today is Gary Hodgkin. Thank you for coming along with us. Thank you, Nick. It's, uh, it's great to be able to come and, uh, come and join. It's been a while since we had you here, but also you've been overseas, and um, I'm pretty sure you had uh, lots of good things happening while you are away. Yeah, actually, I had the very real privilege of moving over to uh, to, to the Kiribati Islands uh, for uh, about two and a half weeks to do some uh, some training of uh, of, of church pastors. Uh, it's uh, Kiribati is a third world country. It uh, is incredibly, incredibly hot, and uh, and it was just a real privilege to be able to sit down with the lay and ordained pastors in that area and just look at some of the some of the challenges they are facing and the way that they can be better addressed. So it was a really exciting time that uh, uh, that we spent in the Kiribati Islands. That's great, um, Pastor Gary, and yeah, that's real uh, discipleship. Oh yeah. They, was discipleship in a very, very significant way. I have to admit there are some real, very real challenges there. I uh, Speaking in uh, a 35 to 40 degree heat uh, with 100% humidity with no air, no air conditioner and on at least three days, no fans. Uh, I, I have to admit that I well and truly felt that I that we covered the, the necessary area. Yeah. Then welcome back here where we have air conditioning and uh, everything set up for us to have a good Bible study. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Nick. It was, uh, it was a wonderful and a, and a fantastic experience over there. All right, the next one which I would like to welcome is Ken. Thank you for joining us, Ken. Pleasure as always, Nick, to be here. And Len, thank you for joining us. Hello, listeners. Lija, on the other side, thank you for being with us also today. Oh, thank God being able to study God's Word again. Very happy. And Helen is our facilitator for today. Thank you for uh, joining us, Helen, and uh, preparing the study for today. With no further comments, I'd like to just pass the microphone to you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And uh, it is a delight to be here. But first of all, I have a question, Gary, on what you were saying. I think some of the listeners may not be familiar with the term lay pastor. You said lay and ordained ministers. Now, you're talking about when you got so hot that you wanted to lay down. What are you actually talking about? <laughs> yeah, look, this is a, a direction that I'm finding many churches, and certainly the, the Seventh-day Adventist church is moving at this particular point in time, uh, Ordained, uh, ordained pastors have had to uh, go through a, a significant amount of, of study. And in many third world countries, what we, what we find is that increasingly the opportunities for that amount of study is not actually there. And so what is increasingly happening is that uh, committed people who are Christian believers and have been believers for a long time are committing themselves to maybe 12 months, two years, maybe a longer period of time uh, in actual ministry. Then they receive on-the-job training. 
and what we're actually doing is providing on-the-job training for the lay pastors. In many ways, they they preach in exactly the same way as a church pastor might uh, preach. They'll go and teach, uh, but they don't have the formal background and education that uh, your ordained pastor might have. And so, it's really important to upgrade them as much as we as much as we possibly can. And that's what we were we were doing on this particular visit. We were spending time just trying to, to, to bring them up to speed where other more well-trained pastors are at. Well, thank you, Gary. My respect for the ministers in our congregation has risen considerably in the fact that I did my training to be a lay pastoral assistant, and it was nowhere near the same extensive study that you guys did. And I know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of study when I was doing it that went into it, and I thought, how do you guys do it? It's yeah. just amazing, but thank you for that. Okay, so this week we will look at the covenant that the Israelites renewed with God in Nehemiah chapter 10. We're also going to discuss some general information about the history and importance of covenant making in the Bible. But let me also, we don't want to confuse you, so we are going to kick off by talking about what a covenant is. But just before that, I'm going to ask Len to open with prayer for us, please. Would you like to join us in prayer? Father in heaven, we've been studying for quite a few weeks now from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, history. But Lord, within history, there are things that are useful for our knowledge these days, and in particular, our relationship with you. And we recognize, Lord, that you are a God who keeps his promises. We pray that as we become closer and closer to you, that we we will realize the importance of our keeping our promises and commitments to you. I pray that you'll bless us as a panel today and all the listeners as they enjoy this um, Bible study time. And I pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. Okay, anybody got any idea how many times the word covenants mentioned in the Bible? Well, I came across this statement and said they're mentioned 318 times in the Bible. You know, and God says that he and his covenant is forever. Would somebody please read Psalm 89.34, please? Well, I've got it, so I might as well read it. Thank you. Here God is speaking, and he says, I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. But I just want to just make a little um, codicil here. Sometimes God's promises are conditional, and... He doesn't break his side of it, but human beings do. God keeps his word, but there are some uh, promises and covenants that God made that are unconditional. For example, if we accept the sacrifice of Jesus for ourselves, there's no way that God will go back on that and say, well, look, it doesn't apply anymore. So a covenant really is referring to a promise that is made. Thank you for that. Yes, Nick. Also, like to add that um, you know, in a different words, um, today we are more familiar with agreements, and um, people do all sorts of agreements. You know, uh, but interesting enough that uh, when we look in the Bible about God and His covenant, usually you know, in the two parties, when we do an agreement, uh, both parties benefit of that agreement. But uh, in many aspects in the Bible, the covenant which God made with us and or us with God 
it's interesting that God is not benefiting about those ones, but only us. That's an amazing thing just to explore and, and elaborate a little bit more on that um, as we go to this Bible study. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. Yes, Ken. Uh, I was just thinking of perhaps uh, another explanation of the covenant as we're discussing in the biblical terms would be a relationship between God and his people. Yes, absolutely. I think the importance of that text that Len read was my covenant will I not break. God will not break his covenant. How many times we do, we break our promises. God doesn't. Um, there is a, a um, text that I'd like someone to read from Nehemiah 9.38. 9.38. Has someone got that, please? I'm happy to do that. Thank you. Uh, yeah. uh, and because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it and our princes, Levites and priests, seal onto it. Okay, I just want to, if I may, read that also from the New Living Translation. It says here, the people responded, in view of all this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. So this is a solemn promise, a sincere promise. They are meaning what they are saying. Gary, did you wish to say something? Yeah, look, I think, I, I think to me the best uh, illustration of what a covenant is today uh, is what we do in a marriage relationship. Um, a marriage relationship, uh, people are become friends over a, a long period of time, but ultimately somebody comes and uh, asks the other, uh, and then there is a formal coming together where a, a relationship is uh, is formalised, and a husband and a wife are created in a legal setting. It, names are, are are changed. The the wife often changes her name to her husband's uh, name. There is a legal coming together at the time of a uh, of a marriage. Uh, all other uh, wills are automatically annulled because that this is the start of a brand new relationship. Uh, to me, I think, Helen, one of the really important things that we understand here is that a covenant is actually an agreement between two people, but it is a formal agreement. But the best illustration I know of that we've got today is actually marriage. And that, I think, once you put it into that sort of a frame, the the word covenant, which is an old English word, uh, suddenly starts to, to have more meaning. Thank you, Gary. You know, it's like the covenant was a crowning act in establishing a relationship between God and his people, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, Lynn. I just want to add something here. Gary said a covenant is an agreement made between two people. I'd like to suggest not to contradict you Gary but it's between two parties because what we're talking about today involved a whole lot more people than just two mm -hmm. but two parties yeah that's a very valid point actually I'd agree with that because certainly in our world today it's very easy to have a contract between a, a business organisation and an individual so that's certainly true two parties would be fine and uh, I think that within the scriptures continually when this word is used you get this relationship between two parties and of course you get the one party is God and the other party is man you you so uh, in my NIV the verse 38 from chapter 9 it says it's a binding agreement 
put it in writings. It means everything what is in writing is going to stay and remain over decades and it will be passed to the next generations to come. So in this situation, the idea of the covenant between God and, and his people, it was very important because it was part of God's story in dealing with sinful humanity and uh, it demonstrated God's yearning, God's desire for a relationship with his own people. So also allowed his people to demonstrate their desire to be dedicated to him, mm. to serve him mm. and as, love him. As I said, it's like a crowning act, wasn't it? I yeah. think Ken wanted to say something and then Len. I just wanted to add something. This is only a little bit over the top what Harry was saying about the covenant between two people. And one of the outward signs of the covenant, of course, they both exchange rings, wedding rings. And I think that's the same also with Christians. When we become Christians, we exchange our thinking and actions to what the Lord wants and we receive the Holy Spirit. And for other people, we have, uh, or we should have anyway, an outward showing of what we're involved with. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Following the death of Adolf Hitler, the Second World War didn't completely stop at that time but uh, the heads of the different groups fighting the war sat down and an agreement was written the Germans surrendered but it was witnessed by the Allies and that in a sense was a covenant I would just like to say this I've grown up in a culture where a man's word was his covenant. A handshake was all that was needed. Here what we're talking about today goes beyond a handshake and just saying, yes, we will do such and such. What we're dealing with here today is a covenant that was made between the Israelite people and God. It wasn't just a handshake or saying, yes, this is what we will do. They put it in writing, which is really going the second mile. Yes, thank you, Lynn. I'd like just to take your memory back to last week's study that we had. Um, you know, first the Israelites studied the scriptures and that led to conviction and confession of sin, did it not? You know, in, in Nehemiah 8 and 9. And after the confession, there was praises. There was a petition of the Jews. The renewal of the covenant was performed. Nehemiah signed it first and there were 83 leaders also signed it. The leaders placed a seal on the document and the rest of the congregation. I'm told in Nehemiah 10.29 that they did something. Has somebody got that? Would like to read it, please, Nehemiah 10.29? Yes, it says um, in verse 29, All these now join their brothers and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God, our thank, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lydia. So now they play, pledge their loyalty to God by taking several vows, and uh, hopefully we'll have time to talk about that today. In other words, the signing of the covenant was not enough. They knew it had to be followed by action. Their commitment to God had to be observable, and thus they reintroduced important aspects of walking with God as a holy nation. 
But it was through this this relationship with God and the intentionality of their behavior that they were to grow as people of God. You know, a critical aspect of being faithful to God and developing the right habits is regularly and persistently asking God for transformation and help. And with his help, we too can keep our focus on him. We can develop the right habits, stick to the correct path. The Jews did not leave their growth to chance, but they diligently, they made action plans that would keep them grounded in God. And we're going to have a look at that. I think, Helen, one of the really important things here to realise is that what we've got is the ancient Israelite people are prepared to actually make a commitment by covenant. Now, we actually live in an age now where making a commitment is actually not that uh, is not prioritised to the extent that it once was. I, I, I think of even the uh, the marriage relationship. Uh, I, I'm many many of my friends don't quite understand why, for example, I believe it's important to actually formalise the relationship with a, a commitment of the two people, and. This is this is what is occurring in the Old Testament here is we're getting God's people and God are forming a covenant commitment. They're prepared to commit themselves together. And that's something that I think in the world in which we're living today is something that we could learn from. There is something about commitment that it's very easy to overlook. So you're really saying that the covenant... Oh, that promise, that commitment was very important. Oh, I think it's vitally important. It's, it's foundational yep. uh, to all that is going to come after. Absolutely. I mean, yes, just, just to to add on what Gary was saying, that's why we are where we are at in terms of relationship in marriage, because uh, that covenant is not considered. You yes. know, as important as being important, as exactly. being yes. important, and uh, people are just taking their own decision to break it uh, what, whenever they want, instead of as we look into the, this covenant. And Nija mentioned about that, that there were serious consequences. I think there are many that don't realise that a commitment is actually be, can very easily become a foundation that provides stability when the tough times come. Mm-hmm. And That's a good point. This, uh, this is something that uh, within scripture I think is so powerful because there are going to be tough times but here the people are committing themselves. They're saying hey we are, we are prepared to not just live with our God but we are prepared to commit, formally commit ourselves to uh, to the things which he holds as as valuable and important. Yes. What happened with the Israelite people can be translated to the modern times for a, with a person who recognises they are a sinner and the process that they go through in order to become a, a child of God. I call it the four C's. First comes conviction, which has been married, uh, mentioned before, conviction that they have sinned. Then comes confession. This was what happened with the Israelites at that time. This is what happens with an individual. Then comes a commitment. Yes, Lord, I want to serve you. And then really the fourth C here is a covenant where they if you like, make a solemn promise 
and in some cases might sign a baptismal vow or something of that nature. But the four C's, conviction, confession, commitment and covenant. I'd like to suggest there's a fifth one, and that's a change as people grow. Yes, Nick? Just before we move uh, on to the next section, uh, I'd like to just uh, say something here that a covenant, it's important and it's very good for us then when we may fall away in a way or the other, we will remember we have something to come back. And that's also to what you just mentioned, Gary, before, a marriage. If you look at that covenant, you know, marriage is not uh, heaven on earth every day. You know, it, it will be many times very big challenges. But when you have a covenant to look back and say, hang on a second, you know, this is what we are together for this reason, to support each other. You know, all those promises at the beginning. And I believe in, uh, even in between God and his people, God, was, God knew that uh, these people will, will fall away in uh, some aspects. But the covenant was there to remind them mm. that God mm. is not change his mm. connection with his people. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Nick. We've, we've just discussed what is a covenant, why it was established, and that they are definitely important. But now we're just going to have a look at covenants in history. And God made a covenant way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve after the fall, a covenant that gives us hope today. Can someone tell me what that would be? It's a promise, it was a hope, the very first one. Uh, so the first one, we can find it in the beginning of the, the Bible, in Genesis. Yes. So, uh, I think it was the first covenant that God made with his creation, with Adam and Eve. So it's a covenant of, of love and relationship. And he actually um, spelt it out in Genesis 3.15, didn't he? Yes. What was that? Somebody tell me. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is really talking about how God deals with sin and sinful mankind. It's really the promise of a, uh, a coming saviour and it's also a promise of the eradication of sin and the devil from the universe. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. I was going to say, please explain, because a lot of people don't understand that verse, but you've done well. Um, I, I did notice that there is mentioned an old covenant and a new covenant. Was anything wrong with the old covenant? No. No, I don't think that we've got anything wrong with the old covenant at all. The only thing that is wrong with the old covenant is that it was continually broken. Right. And what we actually have is a God, a wonderful God, who says, uh, I want to continually renew the covenant. Sometimes people think in, uh, in, in considering the covenant that uh, the new covenant is a different covenant. Mm. But in fact, what's occurring is you're getting in the scriptures, God continually coming back to his people and saying, I want to renew the covenant. It's a renewal rather than a change of. Thank you, Gary. And I think yeah. this is so important as we track through <laughs> what it means as covenant in the, um, in the Old Testament. Thank you. I've got many hands up. But just before I go to any of you, I'd like to, to say in Hebrews, uh, I think it's Hebrews 10, 8, um, God said, This is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. 
um, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me my people and also Jesus blood ratified and sealed that new covenant for us so to me that was the only difference you know he was writing it in our hearts so that mm. we would not forget it now I know that there are several people had their hand up I don't know who was first well, I'm going to be very quick okay <laughs> the reference was actually Hebrews 8 9 and 10 what did I say 10 8 I'm sorry I'm and a so bit dyslexic if any <laughs> of you want to look it up it's Hebrews thank you Lynn 8 <laughs> verses well really 8 9 and 10 thank you I appreciate that that was off the top yes um, I just wanted to add that just in case there was any confusion what Gary said there about this covenant being broken, it wasn't the Lord who broke the covenant, it was the people. And when he came back and he always wants to renew the co covenant, basically it's the same covenant, but he wants the people to keep their side of it, which we all tend to slip by at times. I, I wanted to answer the question, what is the difference between the old covenant and the, the new covenant? The old covenant was written on the tablets of stones by God. The new covenant was written in people's hearts, exactly as you read the, the yes. verse in uh, Hebrew 8, uh, verse 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So this is the difference. Yes. Uh, when the the law of God is written in our hearts, it will never be, be forgiven and it will be followed. Thank you. Len, you wanted to say something? Well, I think there was another difference. The old covenant was really made with the whole nation of Israel. And I've looked into this before, and I think the New Covenant is really to do with individuals rather than the nation. What it means to write the law on persons, people's hearts, that people would know individually. Now, how that occurred, I think, is quite interesting. And I think part of that was when people were able to read the scriptures for themselves. But that's another story. I don't want to go down that tangent. But God still has his own people on this of earth course, right now. But it's on an individual basis. Thank you. Yes. Just uh, this uh, discussion, just I can see that uh, just opens up uh, in terms of uh, this covenant. Uh, just to look at the first covenants which God made with people. Because Len, just you mentioned something. The first covenant was uh, made with um, Israel. I would like to say that... Uh, you know, God made a covenant, as was mentioned here, with Adam and Eve. After that, with uh, Noah. After that, with uh, Abraham. And then with Moses, which with Moses, well, lots of people would understand that that was the covenant made with Israel. I would like to say this, that all the covenants which God made had in, in the picture man. Now, if that was in a form of uh, organized Israel or in the... In the days we live, God has his own people on this earth. And God has a covenant with these people, not only with individuals. God has a covenant with, with his people who will represent him, which will be organized maybe in a form or the, or the other. I, I would like to just clarify that thing that we can discuss about personal agreements or uh, covenants in between God and, and a person, but also at the same time, 
uh, with, uh, with his people. Thank you, Nick. Yes, there was personal covenants, there was family covenants, Noah and his family. You know, there was na- national covenants covered the whole spectrum but you know we could probably move on and say and we could get complicated here and say well what was the structure of the covenants before can i just jump in there before you do because one of the things i'm really conscious of here is that there are sometimes within the the christian world um people who suggest that uh the old testament covenant was a covenant of works whereas in the new testament you get a covenant of grace now, to me, I think this sort of comment, I think we just need to address when we're looking at this particular uh, subject. You know, one of the most beautiful passages that I, I find in Scripture concerns some of these old covenants. You get the covenant given to, to Noah, and uh, it's in Genesis chapter 6, verse, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I love that particular passage because the the covenant that God later makes with with Noah is actually based on a thing called grace. Now, grace is a thoroughly New Testament concept. It is a concept that uh, we find being wonderfully developed by the Apostle Paul. But it's first mentioned in the just the sixth chapter of the Bible. Yes. Here we've got the covenant, but the covenant is based on grace. If I go right through back into Hebrews chapter 11 and I look at what the, uh, what the, the New Testament author of the book of Hebrews um, says about faith, he goes right through the entire Old Testament and he says, by faith. And one of those people that he lists is that wonderful man, uh, Noah and Moses and the Old Testament character. They've all accepted a covenant, but they've accepted it by faith after God has provided it to them by grace. Do you know, I think that this is something that we must not overlook. Thank you. Because what we actually get here in the Old Testament is a, a, a covenantal form that is, is not that much different to that which we find in the New Testament. Thank you, Gary. Lynn, you wanted to say something quickly? I think here it's important to point something out. I believe that there are quite a few Protestant religions who claim that the new covenant was something whereby we did not have to keep God's law anymore. The Ten Commandments, they say, were abolished at the cross. The new covenant does not abolish the Ten Commandments because, after all, a covenant is only any, any good as long as people keep it. God promises his faithfulness to his people and to us as individuals, but in that promise uh, we are expected to be faithful to him. And how are we faithful to God? Well, we do what he says, which is, of course, obeying. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. I'd like to come back to, you know, the, the structure. I don't want to go into that in depth, but for me, one of the best examples of how a covenant was made in the Mesopotamian culture is found in Genesis 15, and in which God makes a covenant with Abraham. And it's also a covenant of grace, Gary, when you mm. actually look at it. Mm. Lydia, I think you had something on that. God made a covenant with Abraham 
that uh, was established, it was a, an established custom of this covenant between two parties, between God and Abram. Uh, God loved Abram, so because of that, he wanted to establish this covenant with him. And uh, the literal translation for making a covenant is cutting a covenant because it involved the cutting of the animals. Uh, depending on how wealthy the vessel, the servant was, he or she would bring a variety of animals to split them in half. So the vessel did the work of splitting the animals in half and then pledged an oath to be overload. Since Abram is affluent, he brings a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon, as it says in Genesis 15, verse 9. So he cut each of the animals down the middle and placed them opposite each other on the ground, creating a path in between them. The birds were left whole because of their small size and placed opposite each other. The job of the vassal now was to walk between the cut pieces and proclaim something to the effect of let it be done to me as was done to these animals if I break this covenant. The overload did not do the walking between the pieces because it was done only by the one who had the lower status of the relationship. So as was customary, Abraham would have walked between the pieces as a vassal. However, although we would expect this action to end the story and for the covenant to be complete, God, God does not end the ratification of the covenant here. But when the sun goes down, Abraham suddenly sees a smoking oven and a burning torch that pass between the pieces. Smoke and fire represent God in the Old Testament, as well as smoke on the mountain as God's presence descends and the pillar of fire in the wilderness. So later in the New Testament, we have the tongues of fire. So what do these things mean? God walked through the pieces himself. He did not expect Abraham to walk through and pledge the oath. So it was God himself who pledged. So God was the one who was willing to be cut on the cross and to die for sinful people in order to demonstrate his faithfulness and incredible love. God never broke the covenant, but because we did, he took our place in being rent in half. God died for us in our place. So God makes a covenant with us in order to demonstrate his commitment and goodness to us. Although we break the relationship with him, he keeps working on mending it. He wants to restore us to himself. Thank you, Lydia. I know that was a long section, but thank yes. you. Here we see the grace of God, wasn't it? Exactly. In the cutting, well, Jesus took that on, on the cross. I'd like to also remember that the children of Israel, they took res their responsibility very, very seriously. 
and the first they made pledges if you remember panel they made pledges and the first three pledges um, related to relationship with others and with God while the last one dealt with temple regulations just want to go through these very very quickly Nehemiah 10.30 somebody got that we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. And what happened previously in the time of Balaam, uh, intermarriage actually led to a breakdown of the relationship between the people and God because what happened with intermarriage, for example, if an Israelite man married a Moabite woman, this woman would have brought her gods, her beliefs, etc., etc., and would have affected the worship of the true God in that home. God could see that this was not a good idea to intermarry and bring in these other cultures or subcultures and beliefs. Mm. So the Israelites had done this intermarrying and they recognized this was a bad mistake. So they said, we promise not to allow intermarriage to happen. So if, if God's people were going to be a witness you know, for God in a pagan world, they had to be united in this. They had to be united in God-fearing families, didn't they? They needed to avoid any enticement to worship the idols mm. of the people who lived around them. Yeah. And uh, I don't believe that God was saying the other people were not as good or anything like that. He was just saying we need to keep this holy nation. Well, we have an example mm. also with Solomon. Solomon, oh. who started out with so much promise, but because of political arrangements, he had all these wives and concubines and they affected him. He, no, he did not remain faithful to the Lord for a large period of his life because of intermarriage. How could a man be so wise and yet so foolish? Oh, he was, I call him the foolish wise man. <laughs> yeah, it's unreal, isn't it? Okay, there was another pledge they said in, in um, Nehemiah 10.31, the first part of that. What was yes, that Yes, it was to keep the Sabbath. So they are vowing again. And they are saying when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So really, the people recognized that the lure of money would conflict with the need for a day of rest, did they not? Yeah. Keeping the Sabbath holy. By deciding to, to honor God first, the Israelites would be refusing to make money their God. Now, our culture often makes us choose between convenience and profit on the one hand and putting God first on the other. And we see that quite a bit in our culture. So maybe we need to just pause and reflect at our work and worship habits. Is God really first? Yeah, well, with regard to keeping the Sabbath, we've got good friends who go to Protestant churches who, in all sincerity, I believe, keep Sunday go to church and, and go home and have Sunday lunch and, and what happens after that? They go shopping. They go shopping, they might go to a sporting fixture, yeah. they, they go might outing. go to the movies. Yeah. As far as the Sabbath is concerned, the way that God said that we should keep the Sabbath is that we should put aside all secular activities, that it should be a day of worship, a day of remembering 
that he is our God, our creator, our redeemer. So obviously there were certain commercial things happening and the people realized that they had erred in doing this. So they said, we will keep the Sabbath as God outlined originally. And God says, if you do, you will call my Sabbath a delight. And for me, Sabbath is absolutely a delight. Yes, Nick? I'd just like to bring this uh, a little bit together with these two pledges. Very important. Just keep in mind that family and Sabbath, first two institutions which God created at the beginning. Mm. Why it's important after so many years that Nehemiah and his people were looking back to that what God established at the beginning because all through those times they faced all the challenges and the separation in between them and God because of breaking down what God was setting up for them from the beginning. God said to the first family to grow and to multiply and to, to uh, look after the creation of God. Mm. And the second, to maintain the relationship in between them and God through the Sabbath day to a special time. That's why what Len said, it's so important because today we say, you know what, we can do whatever, you know, we live in a grace period of time, you know, we do as we feel like. We still love God with all our heart. Are we when we are breaking down his commandments? Can I just uh, just come in here, uh, Helen? I, I think there's something that we really, uh, we, we have to be very careful we don't move on from when we're considering this issue of the covenant. The covenant is based in relationship. And these particular uh, injunctions that are coming through in the book of Nehemiah are all formed in the, in the context of relationship. Do you know, if I go back to the Ten Commandments themselves that are even based in, uh, uh, in well, of course, are in Exodus chapter 20, so often when people read the Ten Commandments, they start at verse 3, and that's the verse that says, you shall have no other gods before me, and of course that becomes the first commandment. But that's actually not where the Ten Commandments start. Most people don't realize that the Ten Commandments actually start in verse 2, because this is actually written in covenantal form. And verse 2 of Exodus 20 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You see, what we've got here in the Ten Commandments is a covenantal form. God is already saying that he has acted on behalf of the people. The people are already in relationship with him. Therefore, you could simply say, therefore, this is how you relate to me. Now, what you find when we go into Nehemiah, uh, you find that God has now brought the people back from the land of Babylon. He's now, in the first case, he had brought them out of uh, the land of Egypt. In Nehemiah's day, out of the land of Babylon. God brings them back, and the moment he brings them back, he reestablishes a covenant relationship. This is based on a very beautiful relationship. And you know, one of the things I like to be able to do with people I love is to do things like spend time with them. 
I love to be able to spend time with people that I love. What does God say in the fourth commandment? He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why is he saying that? Because what he wants to do is to have a relationship with his people. This is central to covenantal understanding. Um, a person that I uh, that I have a relationship, I don't want to steal from, I don't want to kill, um, I don't want to go off with somebody else. These are all the things that are covered in the Ten Commandments. It, that's why it's written in a covenantal form, in the form of two lovers who actually love each other. Mm. And uh, to me, Helen, I, I'm just so conscious here that the covenant can sometimes come across as being a very legalistic uh, yes. form of uh, documentation. It's not that. No. It's far much more than that. You know, and thank you for, for explaining that. It was great. In, in that 1031, though, there was another pledge they made. Apart from the weekly Sabbath, they made another pledge. What was it? Actually, they said that every seventh year we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. So it means every seventh year they won't cultivate the land. They will give a la the land a rest and they will forgive all people's debts. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I was thinking through and I thought, why Why was this, why did this come about? But I believe that that seventh year um, to let the land rest and cancel all debt was to teach them to have confidence in divine providence, um, you know, while they did their duty. Such as, if you think back to when they're in the wilderness, they had this test with the manna, remember? Six days, and and then on the sixth day, it actually met two days, didn't it? Mm. And and it was the this. It's very similar to this keeping the seventh. In other words, a six years increase should serve two years substance. Substance, and you know, it's it's really having confidence in the divine providence. Yes, then. Well, I come from a farming background, and I've also uh, done some studies about what happened in the early years of settlement here in this state of South Australia how that uh, as farmers moved further north they would plant a crop the first year and reap then the second year they would plant that same ground and they would reap less that time and then the third year they would reap less the land basically was exhausted and here as well as uh, being mindful of the Lord they were being mindful of the environment because when God made man, he gave him a job, and that was to care for the environment in which he was placed. And here are the peoples making this covenant with the Lord. We will also care for the environment. And then just to add on that, uh, just coming uh, from a, you know, a long line of uh, farmers you know, back home in Transylvania, where we do different, you know, every year we'll alternate the crop will never plant the same crop in the same place. We'll do one year one sort of, you know, crop and the next year the other one. But I would like to come back to that seventh year. Do you know that back home, in some places, even now, in my country, we practice that thing in uh, because Romania is a very farming-oriented country and the benefits are amazing. But the benefits still ties in with the Bible Council, because for the benefit of some of those people who are less fortunate, 
and they can actually benefit of your grace because God is offering grace to us that we need to pass it on to others and I think this is the essence if you like of this covenant we are not here just in between us and God we are here also to learn from that covenant to pass it on to the people which we come across probably this is important for me today from this study that we need to be considerative towards others Thank you very much, Nick. Yes, Ken? Uh, I just want to add that we're uh, obviously speaking about the land here, and every seventh year you give the land to rest. But it's ex- it, it actually is exactly the same for us on the seventh day when we observe the Lord's Day, the, the Sabbath. And it's actually also a rest for us, especially these days. Uh, everyone is so busy today doing a million things every single, every single day, basically. And I think the time the Sabbath comes around, many of us are really looking for a day that we can forget about our problems for a little while and just spend some time with the Lord. That's a good point, Ken. Thank Helen, you. I, one of the things I, I love about some of these Old Testament Jewish laws is just how wonderfully uh, simple they are and yet what um, an amazing change they would make in society if we actually uh, put them into place today do you know in this particular case you have got a, a god who who says i want you to have i want you to leave us uh, your field fallow every seven years what really is he saying can i suggest to you what he's really saying here is i want you to have a holiday once every seven years you know, there are so many things in my life that I would love to be able to achieve where I'm not actually bound up in the workaday world. There are, th- there are books that I'd like oh, to man. write. <laughs> there are things that I would like to do. There are places I'd like to visit. And what God is saying to his people is, hey, I want you every seven years, I want you not to do any work. I want you to have, and in fact he uses the word Sabbath, a full year off. I want you to be it's able like to sabbatical. go and write the book that you'd love to write. Yeah. I'd love you to go and be able to travel if you want to travel. You've got 12, and he says, do it every 12 months. Uh, do, do it every seven, seven years. years. I, when I read that, I think, what an amazing God. In fact, as I look at the Jewish calendar, the ancient Jewish calendar, there are entire weeks where God says, I want you to have them off. And we serve a God that cares for people and for relationship. It, so much it breaks down much of the consumeristic lifestyle mm-hmm. we have today. And yet what it does is it builds up a humanity and relationship. And to me, as I look at this, some of these Old Testament Jewish laws have actually got a foundation that I think we lose a lot when we ignore them today. And I include in that the Sabbath. I mean, you know, I I love keeping a Sabbath. Um, You know, to have one day every week where I can turn around and say, hey, I'm not doing any work. When I can simply have relationship with my Heavenly Father and relationship with my fellow man. Amen. I think that's such a beautiful thought that God, God in caring for me says, I want you to have time for relationship. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what this covenant is all about. And this is not a legalistic document. This is a, this is a relational document. 
Yeah, doesn't the Lord say, if you love me, keep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Len, very quickly. Well, as Gary was talking about relationship, I was just thinking, well, what would the people do in that seventh year? I don't think they would sit home watching TV all by themselves. I think they went out visiting and, and talking with each other and and sharing, which, of course, would have built the relationship, built the strength of the community because everybody knew each other and if there were anybody who needed help, well, that would have become known. I mean, just, just mentioning that, Len, uh, because Gary said something about a sabbatical year, and uh, you know what? Uh, I will suggest that uh, if you want to take a, a year off, you may go in Kiribati and serve those people in Kiribati <laughs> there. You may go in, uh, who knows that? And that will be a holiday or a working holiday, if you like. Because that's the thing, in, during that sabbatical year, you're right, Len, uh, they came together. They have specific uh, gatherings, you know, because that's what Sabbath is also. Sabbath is not to take just a day off. Sabbath is to come together. To, uh, to be at the feet of Jesus, to learn from the Master, to encourage each other and yeah. to keep going forward. And, and this is where, to me, I, I, I frequently, when I talk about this, this issue with people, they frequently say, oh, Gary, you know, what a, a terribly legalistic life you live. And uh, to me, my respect, if, if me uh, following the Lord's command to have a holiday once a week, and then to have defined periods of time in my life when I have a holiday, if that is being legalistic, then, hey, I'm happy to be legalistic because, to me, it's such a beautiful way. What God is doing in, in sharing in the Old Testament is promoting relationship and giving a way whereby the consumeristic lifestyle that we have fallen head over heels for in, in our world can actually be dethroned. Thank you, everybody. Our time has gone pretty well, and I just want to quickly mention that there was another important aspect we haven't touched on, but just very quickly, why was it important to the Israelites not to forsake the house of the Lord? Because that came into the pledges as well. It was the temple. Why was that so important to them? The temple was very important to look after, to, to, to thrive and not to survive because it, it was very important for them. They knew that God lives in that temple, is the temple of the Lord, which is uh, a copy of the temple in heaven. Okay. So they pledged, mm-hmm. uh, I want to just summarize quickly, they, they pledged to financially supporting the te- temple, its services and Personal bringing the first fruits, the firstborn, the tithe, uh, and uh, ensuring the continuation of true worship, which was yeah. very, extremely important, and for us also. Thank you, Lydia. I'd like uh, to say, Helen, that the temple represented the presence of God. And so, as well as caring for the environment, for each other, there was also this covenant that they made to honour God. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Ken? Yeah, I would just like to say that the temple really was the hub. It was the centre of their life, and everything basically revolved around that. So it was a really intricate part of their life. Thank you. And the same on the same line, uh, even today, uh, even though we don't have the temple as such as in the olden days, what do we have in place? We have church. Churches. And what in the Bible uh, says about uh, uh, that we should not be tempted. To you know, to stay away from uh, those not the for assembling of yourselves together. I was thinking of that verse, uh, Len, uh, just to 
Thank you for uh, mentioning that. Because this is a, a very big temptation uh, in our days when we are very individualistic oriented people to just say, you know, we, we have everything at our fingertip, you know, provision. You know, we can stay in front of the TV, you know, or the computer to watch something there and say, look, I don't need to go to church because I will have a relationship with God at home mm-hmm. or whatever I want to do. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I'll have to th- think again because when you come together and this was the uh, custom of the early church, the disciples of Jesus, which interesting that they said that every day they came together, you know, even to break bread and to have a relationship. I think we need to look back to those examples in the Bible, those covenants in the Bible, and to learn and not to think that we are the wisest people uh, in the world today, because we may fall in the same category, Elaine, we just mentioned about Solomon. That, that yeah, thank, thank you, Nick. For the listeners, if you want to see what pledges they made for the temple, um, turn to Nehemiah 10, 32 to 39, and it will explain those things to you. And at the end, they said, we will not neglect the house of God. That also refers to our temple, our bodies. We must not neglect them. But let me just say that the lessons we can gain through looking at the temple services are immense. They're necessary to give us a bigger picture of God's character and to illuminate the plan of salvation. And just in closing, I'd like to just mention the centre of the covenants now, the old and the new, was what they call sanctification, how Christ is, is helping us to live. He said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. There is reconciliation in it too. It said, I will be their God, they shall be my people. There is a mission in there where it says, no more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them and finally there is wonderful justification just as if we never sin we can come to God and he says I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more also 1 John 1 9 my favorite text it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that i believe encompasses all the covenant that god made with his people and may you today have learned something not only about the covenant or the promise but learned something about god and his grace that will bring you closer to him and to others thank you ken Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this wonderful opportunity we've had today to share your word out there on the airwaves. We pray, Lord, for all the people listening. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the Holy Spirit would touch their hearts, that they would think deeply about these things and look into your word and learn what an amazing God and loving God you are and how you have a plan for their life and you care for each and every one of them and you know each and every one of them and you're knocking on the door of their heart and you just want them to open to you, Lord God, and you want to bless them abundantly. We just thank you, Heavenly Father, for all these blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, panel. This was a very animated discussion today and I hope for um, our listeners that uh, will learn that God is caring about each one of us. And uh, if you like to consider and learn about that covenant with God made with you, please just open the Bible and start understanding that wonderful love letter from God and a covenant with each one of us. May God bless you and don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.